You're listening to Camayo's Compliance Talk by our in-house compliance expert, Michelle Camayo. Join Michelle on the latest developments, questions, and conversations surrounding employee benefit issues organizations are navigating today. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Thanks for joining me today, or actually us. Uh, a few housekeeping items first. Everyone is on mute, which I'm sure you're used to. If you want to ask questions, which we really, really encourage you to do, please ask questions via the questions toolbar in your window pane. And then as always, the recording will be available as well as a copy of the slides and a PDF of all the questions and answers from today's session. We generally send those Monday afternoon. So you can look for the recording, the slides, and the Q&As by Monday afternoon. All right, having said that, I'm Michelle. I'm the compliance leader here at Bolton and Company, and we have a special guest today. It's Bolton's own Carissa Ferrari. She's our wellness manager. Carissa, will you tell us a little bit about what you do or what you've been doing this past year for our clients? Yes, absolutely. So I'm Carissa Ferrari. I help our Bolton clients with their wellness programs and wellness initiatives. Um, this past year, obviously, that's looked a little bit different, but I would say it's been a very hot topic lately and something we definitely want to address with um, a lot of the different struggles that employees have been struggling with remote workforces and the COVID lockdowns and everything that came along with that. But yeah, hopefully if you're a Bolton client, I've had been able to work with you. If not, please reach out. I am happy to help chat through some different ideas when it comes to um, corporate wellness programs. Yes, for sure. And a, a lot of you on the line may know that Carissa and I sometimes work alongside each other because when you implement a, a comprehensive wellness program, there are certain different laws and regulations that you have to keep in mind. And that's kind of where Carissa and I will collaborate on keeping you compliant as you have a wellness program. But that's actually not exactly what we're talking about today. We're talking about mental health and on-site vaccine clinics. Chris is gonna let us know a little bit about that in a, a few more minutes. Uh, but first, I just want you all to know that the, our qualifications are that Carissa and I work on a daily basis with employers. So we have these practical discussions with employers. We are not giving legal advice. Uh, not at all. Our objective is really just to have a conversation with you today that helps you along the way. And I know that it's so great when you get a second set of eyes on something, you read something and you're thinking, I, I know what this means, right? But you just want someone to give you that validation or maybe a little bit of guidance. And that is what we can be here for. So the hope is that this conversation provides a little bit of that validation and guidance for you. So let's get started. First, this is a podcast. So if you'd like to listen to Kamayo's Compliance Talk, you can search for it in any of your podcasts, uh, whatever you may use for a podcast. I use Apple, so you could just go to your Apple podcast, search for Kamayo's Compliance Talk, and you can listen to any of the past episodes. Today, I mentioned Carissa is going to walk us through some mental health resources, also some new information about vaccine clinics on site, and then I'm going to continue our discussion about the COBRA subsidies, and as always, uh, I want to go through our toilet paper talk, which is a segment dedicated to relevant issues from the past 
few weeks. All right, Carissa, take us through some mental health resources that you've learned about or rolled out in the in the past year or two. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure a lot of you on the call are looking at this list of um, some of the struggles we've heard about and either you can relate or some of your employees can relate. Um, it's actually pretty interesting at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, so many employers and employees at Bolton as well we're really struggling and focused on, you know, that work-life balance and employees that were really struggling with the blurred lines. You know, your, your work life has now moved into your home life and it's like, you know, when do I shut my computer down? Or, you know, you're after dinner, you're spending time with your family and you wanna pop up on that computer and get some last minute emails in before the next day. Um, and that eventually just led to, you know, fatigue and mental health struggles and then, adding kids to the mix and the virtual um, remote learning, which I know was a huge struggle balancing all of that. It, it was a struggle and a lot of employees were stressed out, which you know led to loss of sleep. Um, so we were really focused on that in the beginning of COVID. And um, a couple employer groups actually came to me when we were a couple months into the lockdown saying, you know, we actually have a lot of employees struggling with loneliness who live by themselves and are really struggling with no social um, interaction. And, oops, sorry, Michelle, I think, there we go. Um, so we realized, okay, we need to take a step back and address this from all angles. We don't know what a lot of these employees are struggling with. Um, so let's kind of address, you know, all of these different um, issues and focus on everything, financial health, social health, um, and then, of course, all of this leads to stress and sleep, like I mentioned. So a lot of these struggles, I'm sure you can relate. Um, and so we really drove into different carrier resources that can help with this. And a lot of the carriers were quick to roll out different initiatives and partnerships to help groups um, address this in the workplace. So we just listed a couple resources on here and a couple carriers but um if you have any questions about your specific carrier resources you might have access to and you're a bolton client please 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 reach out to your team or myself um, and i'm happy to help with that but as you can see here are some kaiser resources they partnered with classpass and um, those who are still not comfortable to go out into gyms um, ClassPass does offer unlimited on-demand video workouts at no cost. So that's something Kaiser's offering all of their members. And then um, they were able to get reduced rates for live streams. So any employees who wanna join a live stream fitness class or go in person, those gym classes are offered at reduced rates as well. And then the Calm app, which has been amazing. I have this, I love it. Um, using meditation and mindfulness to help reduce stress and anxiety. Um, so all adult members get access to Calm if you are a Kaiser member at no cost. And then the My Strength app, you'll actually see this under Anthem as well. That is um, an emotional health and well-being support app that Kaiser members also have access to. So definitely some resources to at least educate employees about and let them know, hey, if you're a Kaiser member, you have access to this. Here's how um, you can download it and start utilizing it. And Carissa, and just for clarification's sake, it, how would an employer get access? Do they email Kaiser? I know I, I, the I Bolton employer should contact their client management team, and they can provide resources on this. I mean, what would your what if we had um, clients or employers on the line that aren't Bolton clients? What would you suggest? 
Yep, absolutely. Reach out to your Kaiser rep and um, they should have one page flyers that are very simple for you to then email out to your employees or your Kaiser members that explain each of their different offerings in great detail and how members can access it. So reach out to your rep. And then again here, like I mentioned, Anthem also offers the My Strength app. And then they also have the Walker Tracker, which I thought was really interesting. So again, reach out to your Anthem rep if you're interested in rolling out any type of um, you know, walking challenge or um, this personalized portal that they offer for Anthem members where you can sync your wearable and see you know, how many steps it takes you to get around the world or um, they have little like gamification set up in the system so you can make it fun when you're also getting your steps in. And then they also offer a way on that portal for you to track personal metrics. You can set personal goals. Um, so that was a fun offering. I would definitely talk to your Anthem rep if you're interested in that. And then Signa also has a couple fun um, partnerships with these different apps you see here, iPrevail, Happify, and Talkspace. They're all pretty similar where it addresses mental health and there's a lot of um, coaching involved in peer-led discussions and support groups. Some you will see like the Talkspace app, members will pay a copay if they do tap into that resource. But again, definitely reach out if you're a Bolton client to myself or the team or your Signa rep directly if you are interested in tapping into these resources. And then beyond uh, carrier support, there are so many vendors who are uh, available to help boost employee morale, address mental health in the workplace. If you wanna roll out some company-sponsored events, um, I think that is a great way just to show your employees that you care and, hey, we want, to, we want you to take your mind off of work for 30 minutes. Join this health education workshop. Um, we partner with a wonderful vendor called Marino Wellness who helps a lot of our clients with company-sponsored events. And as you can see here, you can do workshops on the topics of positive parenting, um, burnout recovery and prevention, managing finances in a pandemic, gut health, nutrition workshops, fitness workshops. I mean, they have subject matter experts on all things wellness. So that has been a wonderful resource. And then they also have interactive classes, which have been really fun for employees to get up out of their chair, move around if it's a yoga class, if it's more of a you know employee bonding workshop, like a mixology class, which I'm a personal fan of, or a live chef demo where they send you some ingredients to get in advance and you can make a little healthy meal with your family um, and follow along with the actual chef during a live workshop. So these have been really, really fun for uh, employer groups to roll out. Um, never mandatory, which I'm sure Michelle will agree with, um, but just fun for employees to um, do something besides work and unplug a little bit. Carissa, what have you seen? I, I, I think you mentioned that, that, that some of the vendors got really, um, I guess, creative and, and really sort of kind of got flexible with the pandemic. Like, what have you seen some of our employers implement during the pandemic that maybe was related to addressing mental health? What have you seen employers do here at Bolton to 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 help along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I would say at the beginning of the pandemic, these types of events were um, really popular. You know, the health education workshops, some interactive classes, 
um, educating employees about the resources that they have access to, I would say that was a great start. Um, as of late, we've heard a lot about Zoom fatigue and employees that are um, getting a little tired of sitting there and just watching another class or you know, sitting through another Zoom event, you know, they kind of get distracted and, and they're over it. Um, I will say Marino Wellness continues to update their virtual offerings. So there are now some different um, presentations that can be led by one of the doctors they have on staff on the topic of vaccines and vaccines for adults, vaccines for children. Um, so those have been really popular, but like I mentioned, those groups that are having employees struggle with Zoom fatigue, I would say are starting to rely on now some app partnerships. So you can see this last bullet point here. If you are a Bolton client, um, we do have preferred pricing with Headspace and Calm. Those are just two apps that we've recently reached out to because it's been a big ask of our clients lately. So uh, we went ahead and got some preferred pricing through them. And that has been a really popular um, solution for those that don't want to do Zoom classes. But there are many, many wellness vendors beyond Headspace and Calm that can also support uh, your wellness program and address mental health. Um, similar though, that it would still be app-based or an online portal um, that employees can kind of engage in. Maybe we can set up some company-sponsored challenges, whether it's a steps challenge, activity challenge, stress challenge, water drinking challenge. Um, we've gotten really creative um, with some of those different vendors. Most of those will come at a fee um, and it's usually like an annual contract. Um, but I would say that's becoming really popular within the last six months. Got it. And I think that we have a question here, and I think that you probably answered it in an indirect way. We have a question from someone saying, well, what kind of suggestions would you have to re-engage employees who are experiencing that Zoom fatigue? But it sounds like doing something more interactive, like you just mentioned, might be the way to go. So some but how would you do something interactive? Is it through an app partnership or is it is it yet an, still another Zoom class, but it's more interactive and, and less kind of reading and, and listening? Right. I think the key is to mix things up. So we have a template that I've created. Um, a lot of our groups really liked the idea of Wellness Wednesdays. So that's just a template that I put together um, just to show what it could be like to roll out an annual wellness program where we're constantly switching things up and it doesn't have to be every Wednesday it could be bi-weekly it could be one event a month um but where we are addressing you know maybe one week it's nutrition the next week it's fitness the next week it might be mental health or finances just to always mix things up and you know reach a broader audience and then to address that zoom fatigue like you said uh, Michelle definitely an interactive class every couple weeks throwing in an interactive class whether it's yoga flow or guided meditation or a mixology class or something where they can get up out of their chair stretch move around um i think that has helped yes they'll still have an instructor on their screen talking to them but a lot of those events, there's no um, need to have your camera on, you know, and you could bring in your kids to the room or your um, partner and you can follow along in those classes and at least get up and move versus sitting there and having to listen to um, a workshop or take notes. 
And then I see the question on there about employer being liable. So when we work with Marina Wellness, they handle um, all of that fun stuff. And they have waivers that they strongly encourage each employee um, signs in advance. But Michelle, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Well, regarding, so for everyone on the line, the, the question was, if an employer recommends a wellness or mental health resources or resource and the employee has a bad experience, is the employer liable? So Chris is saying, well, the vendor is generally going to handle the waiver process to sort of mitigate that, that liability. On the other hand, uh, I just would want to add, well, what we would need to know the facts and circumstances. Okay, what would the liability be? Is it they're doing a yoga class and they hurt themselves uh, because they, they joined a yoga class online? Uh, so we would really need to know more about the facts and the circumstances. It's highly, highly unlikely if it's a completely voluntary program with no incentive tied to participation and someone were to, let's say, hurt themselves while they were doing yoga, there would be no liability on the employer because the employee was, was free to make that decision on their own. And what we would assume would be, you know, not work hours. So really, we could go down a rabbit hole with that one. So I'll just stop there. <laughs> and if you have specific questions and you're a Bolton client, let us know afterwards. Yeah, and I would just add to that and say if you are a Bolton client and working with us on your wellness program, like Michelle said in the beginning, we definitely loop in the compliance team and just make sure that we are always um, compliant throughout. Right, right. Okay, well, the, the next topic, um, I'm really excited to hear more about. And so, uh, and that's the on-site vaccine clinics. There's actually, they're, uh, it looks like they're available now. So please tell us more about this. <laughs> yes, I think every single pharmacy in Southern California is tired from hearing from me. Um, but we have kept on them and asked, you know, when is this going to be available? And it's always been, you know, we, we don't know, we don't know. And finally, we have heard um, mostly from Albertsons, but we've also reached out to several other pharmacies just to see if their um, information aligns. But they are finally setting up um, or allowing the option for on-site vaccination clinics um, for the COVID-19 vaccine. So that has been a big ask from several of our clients and I'm happy to say it looks like it's becoming more available. So as you can see here, this is just some information that we've collected, like I mentioned from Albertsons, but just wanted to give everyone today a snapshot of what the minimums might look like, what costs might look like. So. It's going to vary by each pharmacy, by the area that your location is in. Um, but just to give you an idea, it looks like most minimum requirements are gonna be right around 50. So very similar to flu shot clinics. Um, but some areas that are in high demand, the minimums could be up to 200. So it really depends. Um, and then they, Albertson said they would offer a scheduling link make that available for all employees so that they can make appointments in advance just to help with um, that social distancing and uh, sanitizing the station in between appointments. Albertsons is currently providing Pfizer and Moderna. Um, Albertsons will be the pharmacy to choose which one that they're going to bring and it's going to be based on availability. And then that second dose clinic would be 21 to 28 days following the first on-site clinic. 
And then Albertsons is accepting all insurance currently for the COVID-19 vaccine, that includes Kaiser. And then you can see a couple different scenarios here for any uninsured employee. Um, it looks like they can go into the pharmacy for a free vaccination, or the employee or employer can decide to pay for that employee's vaccination. And it looks like it'll be $41 per shot. And that's an administrative fee that goes back to the pharmacy. So the total would be right around $85. They said it'll vary, um, but roughly $85 for both vaccinations. Um, trying to think if there's anything else to add to this. Well, I have a question. Yeah. I'm wondering, and I, a lot of us want to know, okay, who, uh, who's doing it? Are, do we have any information on, do, are there in, any employers who've rolled this out or who are seriously considering it or who have, who have actually signed on to have an on-site vaccine clinic as of yet? Or, we, or is everyone still kind of feeling it out? Well, that's about what my calendar was full of this whole week. Phone calls to discuss on <laughs> vaccination clinics. Uh, we have three clients right now that I'm actively working with who are interested in rolling this out. So we're just working on scheduling dates. Um, but I do not know of any of our groups that have rolled this out yet. Okay, so it sounds like you're getting tons and tons of um, questions and inquiries about it, and everyone wants to have a conversation about it, but we've yet to have anyone pull the trigger uh, just yet. Is that accurate? Yep, accurate. Okay, okay, cool. And, and the reason I ask is because I know a lot of us like to know, like, all right, well, who else is, like, for example, COVID uh, vaccine policies for the employer a lot of employers wanted to know, okay, how many employers are really out there that are mandating a vaccine policy? So I just wanted to make sure that we give our, our audience a little bit of perspective on, is this happening just yet or is everyone still kind of exploring? So it sounds like they're still in that exploration stage. Correct. That is, yeah, I think, I think that's really, um, I like the idea of on-site vaccine clinics it's kind of cool, like on-site flu, flu shots, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a lot of clients, too, who are wanting to, you know, tie this into their open enrollment week, where we would typically be helping our clients plan a health fair. Um, so instead, they're offering on-site vaccine clinics. So we're planning for a couple months out. Albertsons did let us know that um, the vaccine is still pretty limited and dates are in high demand. Um, so again, if you are a Bolton client and this um, is something you're interested in, please reach out and um, we'll be happy to put out some feelers and see what dates are available. And if you have any questions, let us know. Awesome. All right. Well, Carissa, I think that, that we answered all the questions we had and good information. So I really appreciate you joining us today. All right. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Bye. All right. For everyone, we're going to move on. I do have one question about the COVID vaccine policies. I, I did mention that we talk about the employer vaccine policies all the time. And in fact, Bolton just finished um, our Bolton COVID series. We, we talked about vaccine policies. That was April 15th. And then I had talked about it previously in, in the end of February. So there's still, it's still a lot of questions about vaccine policies. 
And uh, someone is asking me, do I have any more info or do I have more information about COVID vaccine policies in LA? Um, I would say that's a pretty broad question, but so I will say this. We've done here at Bolton, we've done two different vaccine webinars where we've had employment attorneys on the line giving us their input and answering questions from the audience. So if you are interested in listening to those uh, webinars, then let me know and I can get you the links to the recording. And then also you can go to my COVID vaccine webinar was done on a podcast. So you can download Camayo's Compliance Talk and you can listen to the podcast that's dated February 25th. So you can listen to that one at your leisure. All right. Let's move on. We're going to really switch gears from mental health and vaccines over to the COBRA subsidies. This may seem like a subject that's, that's um, been around for a while, and it kind of has now. It's a couple weeks old, but um, it's still very relevant, and we're still missing some clarification. And I just want to go over this again. It's, it's always helpful to me to hear things more than once. So let's go over the highlights. It's a six month COBRA subsidy. It starts in April, ends in September 30th of this year. It is not retroactive. If someone was not eligible or is not eligible for COBRA starting April 1, then uh, they unfortunately do not get the subsidy. It's not retroactive. It's for federal or Cal COBRA. It covers medical, dental, or vision COBRA premiums at any coverage level. So if I enroll myself and my family, then I get the COBRA subsidy. If I am an assistance eligible individual, I will get a COBRA subsidy for um, all the way to the family coverage tier. It does not matter if, I, if it's single or family, it's covered under the subsidy. It's only available for those individuals who termed involuntarily, other than gross misconduct, or who lost coverage due to a reduction in hours. Now here's something that's interesting. The reduction of hours could very well be voluntary. I, as the employee, could have went to the employer and said, you know, I really need to reduce my hours for whatever reason. I just need to reduce them. And if you as the employer allowed that to happen for, for them to move from full-time to part-time and they lost benefits due to that event, that is a subsidy eligible individual. So the reduction of hours could be voluntary and they would still be subsidy eligible if they lost coverage due to the reduction of hours. You may have had participants who paid in April because you haven't, the DOL model notices just came out April 10th, so you may have had someone pay in April, but if they're subsidy eligible, you will need to issue that refund within 60 days. The subsidy ends when the individual becomes eligible for new employer coverage or Medicare. Otherwise, a penalty applies if the individual does not notify the employer. The employer gets to take a payroll tax credit for the amounts that they've paid, including the 2% COBRA admin fee. The uh, payroll tax credit is similar to FSCRA. The subsidy has to be automatically applied to current COBRA participants that qualify. Your assistance eligible individuals that are already enrolled in COBRA, they do not have to opt in. You have to automatically give them or provide that subsidy. 
And note that this, the act did not extend COBRA maximum periods. The COBRA maximum periods are, are exactly the same, so they are not extended due to the act. And the last part, or well, some highlights here, is that second bite of the apple, or otherwise known as an extended election period. So formal and former individuals who previously had an involuntary term or a reduction of hours but didn't elect co coverage, or let's say those that elected and then dropped, if they're still within their COBRA maximum period, they must be given a second chance to enroll. So they need a special notice letting them know they have a second chance to enroll. Enrollment is prospective. They do not have to go back all the way to their initial COBRA eligibility. It can be prospective. So there could be a lapse in coverage, and, and that is permissible. You cannot require someone to go all the way back to their initial date of, of coverage. You could, it could very well just be a prospective enrollment in order to take advantage of the subsidy. All right, the notice deadline is fast approaching. It's the end of May, so you've probably seen a lot of activity around your COBRA vendor. If you have a COBRA vendor, they have, I'm sure they have sent out email communication on what your next steps are. If they haven't reached out, please contact them. If you're a Bolton client and you're not sure how your COBRA vendor is handling it, please contact your Bolton team so we can give you further guidance on that. I've included the link here where you can go and you can see all the model notices as well as the, um, a, a set of facts. So there's a notice to the current COBRA participants. There's a new special notice to individuals who were previously involuntary terminated or lost coverage due to reduction of hours. And that individual has 60 days from receipt of notice to enroll in COBRA. And then there's a subsidy ending notice that you must send out or your COBRA vendor must send out. And then, of course, your COBRA vendor or you will need to update the current COBRA election notices to include model language about the subsidies. So these are the notice requirements. The model notices are online at the link that you see here on the screen. I want to talk about involuntary termination for a moment. A lot of us are still waiting on better guidance when it comes to that. Uh, a voluntary resignation or retirement does not qualify as an involuntary termination under the Act. Uh, but however, what is um, treated as involuntary is subject to further interpretation, which is why we're hoping for guidance. Uh, so right now, employers need to make a good faith determination as to whether the termination is voluntary or not, and then document, document your reasons for that decision. Also, employers and plan sponsors should exercise caution before denying COBRA, denying the ARPA subsidy on the basis of gross misconduct. And the reason why you want to exercise caution around that is because it's been proven to be a difficult to obtain standard. And really, it's only been found to apply in egregious cases of workplace misconduct. So just be, just be cautious around that. I have seen questions this week and last week are employers who are asking about employees who were essentially temporary, who were only hired on to work X amount of months or X amount of weeks. And uh, so their contract has ended and the person is no longer working for the company. The question is, is that an involuntary termination? 
yes, it is an involuntary termination and this person would be assistance eligible. So if an employee was hired only to work on an 18 month project, the end of the project is considered an involuntary termination for the act's purposes. So they would need to be offered that COBRA subsidy if they lost coverage in conjunction with their, their employment contract ending. Hopefully that provides a little bit of clarity there on the COBRA subsidies. Don't have a lot of questions on that, so I'm hoping that means that most of you are working with a COBRA vendor and that the COBRA vendor is giving you some really great guidance as far as that goes. So we'll go into the toilet paper talk, some relevant issues from the last couple weeks. Lots and lots of questions on COBRA subsidies, on whether certain events qualify a person for the COBRA subsidy. Vaccine policies. That the vaccine policies continue to get a lot of traction and interest and questions, whether or not an employer has to have a vaccine policy, whether or not they should mandate the vaccine. I had an employer this week um, kind of talk with me about having a vaccine policy and they were leaning towards mandating the policy. And I said, okay, have you conducted a risk assessment? You know, what are your, what's the business reason for mandating a policy? And um, so we talked about it and I said, are your employees unable to socially distance? And this person said, no, no, they, they are able to. We have plenty of space in the office, so they do socially distance. I said, okay, are you, are, is everyone wearing a mask? Are you taking temperatures before they walk in the door? The answer is yes and yes. And I said, well, you really want to consider, is there a business necessity to have a mandatory vaccine policy in your workplace at that point? Because the first thing you really want to do when you're thinking about a vaccine policy is conduct that risk assessment, ask those questions. Uh, and it turns out that it was really a personal philosophy at the organization that was driving the mandatory policy. It wasn't necessarily a business necessity. Now that is, that is, that may be okay, uh, but here at Bolton, my job is to mitigate or eliminate risk on behalf of our employers. So if an employer wants to eliminate risk, then the way to do that is to conduct a risk assessment and ask, is there a business necessity to have a mandatory policy? And the reason why there might be a mandatory policy is maybe, maybe there's no way to socially distance at your organization and uh, and so you're putting preventive measures in place so you want to ask yourself a few questions all right i have a few cobra questions that came in so i want to stop here and answer those there's a question about a deceased employee and his family currently covered under cobra does the family qualify if the family members are qualified beneficiaries then they could very well be assistance eligible individuals depending on whether or not it was an involuntary termination that triggered the COBRA event or maybe a reduction of hours. If you're saying that the event was, you know, the employee passed away suddenly and the employee was not on leave, um, that would be a different question. Uh, but the family members, if they are qualified beneficiaries and they're assistance eligible, they would qualify. Another question is, for, for voluntary terms, when the employee is taking another job, so it sounds like they voluntarily resign with benefits from day one, I'm still understanding that I should send the COBRA 
journal notice. It's actually the COBRA initial, or excuse me, it's actually COBRA election notice. The general notice is different. Um, you should send the COBRA general notice and perhaps add the language. Yes, yes. Your COBRA election packets still need to include the language, which, which they call, the model notice is called the summary of provision. So your COBRA election, election packet should include the language even to those that are not assistance eligible. The answer is yes. Now that person is not an assistance eligible person because they voluntarily resign, but you still have to include the summary of provisions model language in the COBRA election packet. Okay, we have a question. What if an employer is already offering a COBRA subsidy for a number of, oh yes, I've seen this. Okay, so we have some employers who already offer a COBRA subsidy in connection with a severance package. So I, I've had a number of employers email me and say, oh, we already agreed to pay through the end of September as a severance package. Are they, a play, are, does that, are they subsidy eligible? Well, here's the thing, I've read the law. Yes, they, if they qualify, if they were involuntarily terminated or lost coverage due to reduction in hours, they're assistance eligible. So why would you as the employer pay for that through a severance package when you could simply trigger uh, COBRA and they would be assistance eligible and then you could claim the tax credit. But really think about your severance packages during this time if the person qualifies as assistance eligible, there's no reason for you to write in COBRA uh, subsidy as part of your severance package. You can simply um, give them the subsidy until the end of September and then claim the tax credits on it. Great question, thank you. Okay, we're gonna go back to relevant issues from this week. We talked about vaccine policies, the San Francisco Healthcare Security Ordinance reporting is delayed for this year. Last year it was canceled. This year it's been delayed until at least October. It looks like it's gonna be canceled again. I'll keep you updated. If you subscribe to my Bolton blog, you will get the, that update as soon as it comes out. Or if you're a Bolton client, you'll get one of our compliance alerts and, and you can, you'll see when it's canceled officially. Right now it's just delayed until October. And this is for employers who have employees living and working within the city limits of San Francisco. That's who needs to comply with the San Francisco HCSO and the reporting. Not sure if you all saw this one. I feel like it kind of snuck in there, but personal protection equipment is now reimbursable for FSAs, HSAs, and HRAs. It's now a reimbursable expense under the IRS Section 213D list, which is the list that the FSAs, HSAs, and HRAs operate from. So that's really great news. Now, if you have an FSA or an HRA, you need to work with your vendor to amend your plan documents to allow PPE, PPE as reimbursable expenses. If you have an HSA like myself, you do, this is kind of the individual is the one that governs this. Like it's our responsibility to keep proof of receipts and, and such. So if I go out and buy personal protective equipment and I have an HSA, I just need to save my receipts and I'm good to go. So that's, that's pretty cool. 
And finally, something I spent a lot of time on yesterday and this morning is the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association's settlement. Did anyone get an email at their personal email address yesterday um, notifying you that you are a claimant and that you can file a claim online? I did because I was an Anthem member for a couple of years between 2008 and 2020. So I got this email saying that um, it's now time to file a claim and I have until I believe November to file that claim. So I went ahead and filed the claim because uh, I am an eligible claimant. But also my employer, if my employer purchased uh, insurance through one of the blues, which would be Anthem or Blue Shield in our area, then my employer is a claimant as well. So I think a lot of our employers, a lot of employers are going to be receiving the same exact communication. And we do get questions on this, whether or not, you know, should I be a class action member? Should I, or not? Should I sue Anthem on my own or Blue Shield on my own? Which I'm not sure I would recommend doing that. You'd want to talk to legal counsel about, you know, taking them on your own. Otherwise you would just be a class action member and you would just, um, Maybe perhaps get a check in the mail one day in the next couple of years. Uh, so if you have any questions about that and you're a Bolton client, just let me know. I did a Bolton compliance alert and a blog on this very topic about a month or two ago. So I can send you a link to that if you want to know some more details on that. I've got a question. Does the employee need to file if the employer pays 100% of the employee cost? Great question. Well, uh, let's talk about that. Let's back up a little. Um, the employee, let's say the employee had family members on the plan, so so they did have a cost because they enrolled their family members, then yes, they would definitely want to file. But here's the the tricky part uh, is that, and uh, excuse me, Blue Cross Blue Shield Settlement Fund is using a default percentage for everyone. They're saying, and they're using benchmarking data to come up with this. So they're assuming that your employees paid 15% of single-only coverage, and they paid 35% for family coverage. So I went online, and I filled out my claim form, and it said, do you wish to adopt the default percentages here, or do you want to submit proof of a different type of, of percentage arrangement, a different cost share? I just said, I just clicked on the default because it's close enough, 15% for single coverage or 35% of family coverage. Now, an employee may very well have paid zero for their health insurance, but they can still go online and hit the default option. So what does that mean for the employer? It means the employer's bucket of money is going to be decreased based on how many employees go online and choose a default option. It's up to the employer then to submit proof that the default option was not accurate. And submitting that proof will, you know, I'm sure is going to entail a great level of detail and documentation to kind of appeal, if you will. I did some fun number crunching because I, you know, I wanted to see like, all right, well, how much could I, as, a, as, a, as an individual who had a, an Anthem policy in the past you know, 10 years, how much could I potentially get back 
So I started assuming some numbers and I looked at the formula that they're using. And uh, my estimate is that I'm going to get back $3.20. Um, <laughs> that's just an estimate. It's not a real number, but I did plug in to the best of my knowledge. I plugged in numbers using their specific formula. And that's the number that I came up with as me as a, an Anthem member. It's going to get back $3 a month. Uh, or excuse me, not $3 a month, $3 in total, just to give you an idea. The settlement fund is for all employees, all individuals, all employers that had a blues plan from 2008 to 2020. So imagine how many employers that is, how many individuals had a, had a, had a um, individual plan how many employees get part of that money as well. There's going to be a massive number of claimants and a small pool of dollars. So I wanted to give you some perspective. I believe we should all be filing a claim. Absolutely, we should all file a claim. Just be careful about your expectations. All right, in the next slide, I just want to remind everyone that the Bolton COVID webinar series continues. And that the next one is April 28th. And Stephanie Nobriga is going to be presenting on ergonomics. The topic is working from home and making it work. If you weren't aware that Bolton did a COVID or we are doing a COVID webinar series, please contact your Bolton team. Uh, let them know that you want the invite, if, especially if you would like to join the one for April 28th. If you know Stephanie here at Bolton, you know she's awesome. Her presentations are always engaging. She's so knowledgeable about many topics, ergonomics being one of them. All right, lastly, I'd like to leave you with some resources that you can tap into. Um, the Bolton blog, of course, if you wanna stay up to date, you can just subscribe to the blog. You'll get my blogs as well as um, blogs from other team members that are about relevant topics. If you have benefit-related questions, you can go to your, uh, your Bolton clients can contact your team. And for Bolton clients, don't forget, you have Think HR. And for employment matters, you all know I'm a big fan of fisherphillips.com. I will tell you, Fisher Phillips redid their website. So the information is not as easily accessible as it once was, which is a really big bummer for me. Uh, but Fisher Phillips, like all organizations, are, are generally in the business of making money. So I'm sure they have good business reasons for this. But their site is not as accessible as it was before, but it still has, has a co California COVID resource center. So I recommend checking that out. They have online publicly available templates for mandatory vaccine policies for accommodation requests and a few other templates that you will find very, very helpful if you do have a vaccine policy. So you can visit the California COVID-19 Resource Center, and that's at fisherphillips.com. That's it for me. Carissa jumped off earlier so she could join a, another call to talk about uh, on-site vaccine clinics. Really appreciate your time today. If you have any questions afterwards, feel free to email myself or your Bolton team. Thanks, everyone.